coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group. This is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to the DNS podcast. Our guest today is registered dietitian nutritionist, Amy Berry, here to talk with us more about her new business venture, Enerol, under the umbrella of her LLC nutrition support specialty care. Amy began her specialization in nutrition support in GI surgical patients when she worked at the Medical University of South Carolina. She later moved on to the University of Virginia, where she served as a dietitian on the surgical nutrition support team. In 2017, this led to the creation of a full-time nutrition support position with UVA's Cancer Center, working both inpatient and outpatient to provide these patients continuity of nutritional care. In 2021, she accepted a position at the Roper St. Francis Cancer Center, moving to sunny South Carolina, where she continues to serve advocating for comprehensive outpatient nutritional care for cancer patients with PEG and J-tubes. She has written multiple papers and presented on these topics at FINCI and Clinical Nutrition Week, as well as presenting for our own Dietitians and Nutrition Support and also the Oncology Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group of the Academy. She received the 2019 Award for Excellence in Clinical Practice by DNS, as well as the 2019 Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Foundation Abbott Nutrition Malnutrition Award, given to nutrition clinicians making a significant contribution in malnutrition awareness. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the DNS podcast. Thank you, Christina. I'm so excited to be here. So tell us more about your new business. So as you said, our new business is Enteral under Nutrition Support Specialty Care, and we chose the name Enteral because it means within, by way, or related to the gut or intestines, so I felt like that was quite appropriate. And I'm doing this business with my colleague, Kristen Quisenberry, who I've known pretty much my entire career. We met way back at MUSC when I was a little baby dietitian. So the idea behind Entral is it is a new way to bridge the gap of the lack of quality nutritional care post-discharge. So essentially, we're caring for the malnourished complex medical patient at home. So we are a clinical private practice, essentially. So that's not as common probably as the wellness, um, but we really want to provide that extra level of clinical care when these complex patients are discharged. You know, what does that mean? So the complex medical patient could be someone that's had major abdominal surgery, um, who has a Whipple or a pancreatic surgery where they go home and they're feeling full or they're nauseated or they're stooling all the time um, and they're not sure what to do and they're continuing to decline or patients with a new ileostomy that keep getting readmitted because they're dehydrated or they're on home tube feeding and they're not even sure what to do with that. Or if they're on cancer treatment, it's the list goes on and on. And a lot of these patients need uh, quite a bit of nutritional care still after discharge. The other idea behind Enteral is to give that care everywhere. So not just down here in Charleston, South Carolina, but to be able to do that nationally. 
because people across the country need that specialization and need that extra support. We work one-on-one with patients. We can also work directly with clinics um, and contract with the clinics to help care for their patients. We can give nutrition lectures. We can develop educational materials. And I just think there's such a need to bridge the gap post-discharge. If you look in the literature, cancer centers are understaffed. Um, There's a lot of research looking at um, kind of the standards of staffing, and and it's hard to come by. So a lot of times cancer centers are really understaffed because we as nutrition professionals can't go and say, hey, you've got to have this amount. Um, It's kind of a guessing game. ENT and surgery clinics don't necessarily have consistent access to a dietitian, and they definitely need it. Recently, Quorum and OptumCare cut their clinical sites by half. So any if a patient went home with one of them, they at least could call and ask a question about their feeding tube or I'm having trouble. They wouldn't provide necessarily follow-up care, but at least they had a place to ask. And, and that now is halved. So where do those patients go? So I think now um, they have a place to go. They have to, they can go to Intral. Um, we have a website, intralsupport.com. Um, you actually can get there by tubefeedingdietitian.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook as tubefeedingdietitian. So we're just looking forward to connecting with all the patients out there that need help. And what previous experiences have you had that led you to, you know, even the idea of creating this new business? So um, I'm going to start way back in time. Um, So, you know, just to tell you a little bit about myself, so you get an idea of where I'm coming from and why this has become such a passion of mine. So I love large medical centers, teaching hospitals, dealing with the sickest patients. But beyond that, it's just so much learning. And I love to learn. I love to learn from the teams and um, just be part of part of the team, part of the medical team as the dietitian should be. So even where I am now, I'm very hands-on with um, feeding tubes and troubleshooting and caring for patients like that. Um, so if you back up, back, I, um, you know, came from Virginia and I worked at MUSC. Initially, we moved down um, and worked at MUSC for a little bit. And then we decided we wanted to relocate back to Virginia, which of course has UVA and which is an incredible nutritional team there. Uh, So I was offered the job to be part of the surgical nutrition support team at UVA. So I was very happy and excited to be part of such a, a high caliber team. And some of the really great things about that, um, about the job there was the fact that, you know, we had various teams, we had our clinical team. So I had a group of nutrition support clinicians that just were so passionate about it. And um, so I could talk to them and say, you know, I had the freedom to say, oh gosh, you know, I, I'm not used to this type of patient. What do you think? Am I doing this right? And we could bounce ideas off of each other and continue to learn. And I think that's just an incredible environment to be in because we make each other better. And then of course the medical team involvement was incredible. So the way that our teams are set up, you had surgery, nutrition support, and medicine, nutrition support. And so, and you had a a team of dietitians for each and our, the surgical team rounded with critical care physicians twice per week. So we literally went over every single nutrition support patient at the bedside with the physician twice a week. 
So as you know, anyone that reads a surgical note can tell, tell me that it's um, not complete in its detail. So, um, you know, to actually get to be there with the surgeon to say, hey, well, I was in the OR and this is what happened and this is how we reconnected and oh gosh, this is what the bowel looked like. The bowel is not looking good. And that's not necessarily in the surgical note. So as a dietitian, you've got to know that. You've got to understand what's going on with the gut. What does that look like? And we really were able to dig in And because of that, we really were part of the medical team and the treatment of the patient. And I think that's so important to really provide the care that the patient needs to have the understanding, to be part of it, to be there for that. And just that environment was just wonderful to me. It just brought me alive, I think. Um, And just to have, it was like, oh, these are my people. So, um, you know, when I was there, I got to write articles. I did data collection. I gave lectures. So from that, a couple of years into that, um, the hepatobiliary pancreatic surgery nurse practitioner came to us because we have a surgical team and said, hey, we're, we're starting to see a lot of these malnourished patients in our clinic. And, you know, we, we think we need a little help, um, which honestly is pretty good back in 2009, um, you know, for them to be that forward thinking that, no, we can't actually handle this on our own. We need some help. These patients need some more support. So um, I was like, yeah, let's do that. I had worked with pancreatic patients at MUSC and I had done it at UVA. And I just, um, it's definitely one of my big passionate areas of interest. I love pancreatic surgery. And uh, so I started working with them. And I think that was a bit of a turning point for me um, because I, you know, never thought outpatient anything for myself. I loved the SICU and I loved the surgery and, you know, being in the mix of everything. But I think once that outpatient world opened up to me, I just saw so much that needed to be done. The downward spiral of the patient um, post-discharge. So, you know, you work so hard to get someone tube fed and, you know, not on TPN and let's feed them and get a tube placed and all this. And they go home and a week later they're readmitted because they might not have gotten the support they need post-discharge. And not to the fault of anyone, but that it takes a lot of time to follow up with these patients and give them, especially, you know, after these major surgeries. So I just really saw the need for more support for these patients at that time. And at a very full schedule, I was already full time with the nutrition support team, and I'm trying to fit this in on top of it. So I talked to my manager, Kate Wilcutts, and so we decided to start collecting data to show the need for some hours, you know, to be an outpatient dietitian. We initially only asked for four hours a week because I was just working with this pancreatic surgery team. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, you know, just, I just need a little, like half a day to just at least check in with these people. So, um, and the big joke here was um, we looked at what I made in four hours a week and what the cost of that would be. And the surgeon we were working with actually laughed and was like, surely we can find that somewhere. So thank you. Um, But the crazy thing is we didn't in the mix of, you know, this huge surgical center, no one wanted to pay a dietitian for measly hours to take care of their patients. So um, we could not get anyone to agree to pay for the position. I kept meeting with my manager. 
Um, and so we were just trying to tr troubleshoot what to do to, to help these patients. And she said, the only solution I can come up with is you need to stop working for free. So I, you know, was kind of taken aback by that because I said, well, who's going to take care of these patients then? And I was very upset because I was very invested in these patients and this team. And, and she said, no one is going to pay for you if you continue to do it for free. And I really think, um, and we talk about this maybe a little later, but just that is a really important concept to dietitians as a whole, because I think we're all very type A, you want to do it perfect. You don't want to show that there's deficits in your work, but I think you do have to show, you know, listen, I, you know, I'm not going to work 80 hours a week for the, the salary of a 40 hour a week person. You need to show your administration. This is a deficit, um, that needs to be covered. And so you know, we try to let show, you know, with the outpatient support we had at that time. Okay, we'll try to shuttle them there. We'll do the best we can of what we have. And we did that. But we by doing that, we could kind of show, you know, we looked at the data, what weight loss was occurring, how many really even followed up with the dietitians, how many got readmitted, what complications were they having? And in the interim, Kate and actually Wendy Phillips was there at that time, which uh, a lot of people know, she's, you know, amazing and has done a lot of work with malnutrition. Um, and so we kept kind of plugging away at this and I, you know, had removed myself and they did see a difference. And after my maternity leave for my third child, I came back and they did agree for the four hours. So how long did you think it took before we found four hours was actually not enough to help cover all the malnutrition that was occurring after major surgery. So then they started looking at, well, what about ENT? ENT patients really need a lot of nutrition support help. And what about esophagectomies? They all go home with J-tubes and they really need a lot more nutrition support help. So we started more data collection, more requests, more meetings, and we finally got the position approved. So we got a full-time nutrition support position, which was funded by the Cancer Center. And at that time, too, we had only had one dietitian at the Cancer Center. So I was added as the nutrition support piece, and then um, we actually got were able to get staffing for an additional person as well, which was great. Um, so you're asking about my experiences in starting the business. Um, I guess I am grateful that I've worked with managers that are yes managers. How do we find a solution? They're open to ideas when I go in and I say, hey, like we need more help. Like this is what's happening. They're like, okay, let's get it done. Let's do some data collection. Um, let's push our boundaries. Let's show what we can do. And I think uh, Kate Wilcutts, anyone that knows me knows what high regard I put her in because she is all about pushing boundaries, um, giving us room to work. Um, patient care is number one for her. Whatever is going to help the patient is her focus. It's not making people happy. It's not making the medical teams happy. It is the patient. And if we are not given the time to do quality of work that we need to do to help the patient, she's going to fight for that. And I think that's really important. So even after this, you know, huge dietitian win, as one of my surgeons says, anytime I want an argument, he goes, you can go put a one under the dietitian on your board at home. So, um, but even after all of that, um, you know, we found out there were so many tube feedings at the cancer center we didn't even know existed. And, you know, we had to start looking in general surgery patients that didn't have cancer. Who's covering them? 
Um, we're looking at protocols for outpatient pegs when they're getting placed and no one's telling the dietitians about them. So, you know, I guess at that time, even I was starting, my mind was starting to go in that direction is how can I maximize my time with these patients to help them the most? So why couldn't I start my own business that does this where I'm, I can expand my reach beyond just UVA? And I think also, you know, things have changed, of course, post-COVID with the help of telemedicine, we can make it more available to everyone. So those were kind of my, my thought, my wheels started turning at that point. So Amy, I think what you describe is something that a lot of clinical dietitians who work in hospital settings face is getting enough hours to see the patients that, you know, we think need our nutrition services or could be at risk for malnutrition. Absolutely. What took you from, you know, living in the moment and working to see, you know, to have the capacity to see the patients that need the services to, I want to be a nutrition entrepreneur? Like, how did you go from point A to point B? Yes. <laughs> Great question. Um, I have to say, I never thought I would actually be one. Um, but I think when the need is always right in your face um, on a day-to-day basis, you know, I've worked in different settings. Like I said, we're, I'm down in Charleston. I'm not in Charlottesville anymore. And I just think the need is everywhere. You see it everywhere. I think you just, you always, you know, what dietitian, as you said, in your practice has not seen a patient that has gotten lost in the mix when they're outside of the hospital walls and they come back in. I, um, you know, just your story after story. Um, I had a patient where the peg was, a uh, peg was placed, um, and a dietitian was never told. So you have a peg there, but if you're not using it, it's not helpful. And I was kind of, will say that to the medical team, like the peg doesn't work unless you tell someone about it where we can actually utilize it and make it work. Um, there was another patient that had a J tube placed that a dietitian was never told. And so, um, he never used it, was never set up with pump feedings, nothing. And he kept losing weight. So he came back in a few months later and said, this thing isn't working. Um, so I want it out. It's uncomfortable. And so they removed it and I found out later and I was like, oh my gosh, like guys, come on. So, um, you know, I had another patient that I didn't find out had a peg tube until a month out and, um, they were just trying to troubleshoot on their, their own. Like, I don't know, just let's put some stuff in there and hopefully that's what they need. So I think, um, I think that's everywhere. I don't think that's isolated to, to UVA or smaller hospitals. I think it really happens everywhere. And, um, so as far as my inspiration, I would say it's the need of the patient's. I'm emailed from clinicians everywhere who say, Hey, how did you get more staffing at UVA? How did you go about that? Because every, you know, and I think especially post COVID and financially everyone is squeezed. And so, um, you really have to work on proving your worth. Um, but this is a need and you just really have to put the patients first. You know, I think about the small, the small hospitals, um, and not to pick them them at all, but they have, you know, if you're in a really small facility, some people might have just one dietitian. So, you know, where's their team? Like I had at UVA where I learned so much, you know, who do they get to ask? Um, you know, I think it would help them have an experienced dietitian 
to bounce things off of, Hey, I have this patient and um, what do I do? And I haven't had this type of patient before, and this is the symptoms they're having. And I think that's really important. And that, that promotes the care of the patient. So why can't we offer a better standard of nutrition support care to all patients, no matter where they are? You know, we just had um, the big ESPN conference and the signature of nutrition is a human right. And, you know, I think this intro really plays into that role. So what steps did you have to take before you could launch this company? So gosh, this, this was definitely the way outside of my comfort zone part. Um, this, and I think this is probably what scares most clinical dietitians away because we're not used to the whole financial side of it. Um, I didn't bill in the hospital. I know some places do. I didn't. So this was all very foreign to me. I talked to a lot of people that are a lot smarter about the billing and the financial aspect of things. Um, you know, Beth Hall is one who she created. She was extremely forward thinking. I think so highly of her. And she created her tube clinic out in um, Billings, Montana. And, um, you know, she published an NCP 2014 article on it, which I always say is one of my favorite articles because it really shows what a dietitian who's experienced and specialized and has the time to do a good job can do. So I love that article, but I talked to her. She actually has her own private practice now. Um, I talked to Neha Shah out in California who's very clinical focused and is incredible. And she has her private practice now. I talked to, of course, my, my rock, Kate Wilcutts to say, have I lost my mind? Um, talked to Carol Parrish. I talked to a lot of people uh, much smarter than me um, to see if I, this was a feasible thing to do. Um, you know, I'm looking at scope of practice. I look at reimbursement. Um, again, insurance is way out of my, way out of my ballpark of understanding. So even working with, um, we're working with a billing company that really can help guide me through that process. And, um, and they're very passionate, actually the owner of the billing company, the reason that they even founded it, um, was her mom had pancreatic cancer. So we just immediately connected. So, um, you know, but that's for me, that's what I need to help me kind of navigate these pathways that I'm not as familiar with. Um, I looked at other private practices, whether they're clinical or not. Um, what are they doing? I looked in liability insurance, of course. Um, that was number one on the list, especially if I'm out kind of more on my own. I had to do a website build. I had to learn about Canva. These are all not things I did as a clinical dietitian. So definitely have learned a lot um, since starting this process. And what makes Enerol different from other private practices already in existence? So like I said, we are clinical. Um, the other thing um, that I would say we bring to the table is our experience. So both me and Kristen have over 15 years of clinical experience. Um, we both are CNSC certified. So we're certified to take care of nutrition support patients. Um, but honestly, beyond any certification, I think experience is number one. So I've described my experience. Um, so let me just tell you a little bit about Kristen's experience too. So she, she, we met at MUSC and she was at MUSC for over 15 years, like I said, and she has done all the, the medical ICU patients. So the MICU patient, she was there for over 15 years. 
So she does all things medical. She's COVID and respiratory failure and non-surgical cancer and GI issues, liver, pancreatitis, she, neurology, dysphagia, all of those things um, are, are in her wheelhouse. So I almost think of it like we're setting up UVA's nutrition support surgery team and nutrition support medicine team on an outpatient side um, as that model. So she's heading up the medical side and I'm heading up the surgical side and we both know how to do both sides, but we have each other who, you know, that's kind of our specialty. So she's tremendous. She's passionate about the patient. She's empathetic. Um, I just think she's wonderful. And I think she just brings a lot to the table. Um, I think we're, we both, Chris and I are involved in national organizations because we are passionate about nutrition care and we want to see those improvements and we want to move the field forward. So um, we're, we've both had board positions on the dietitians and nutrition support team, which is just a great organization um, for nutrition support dietitians. I think the other thing that makes us different is just um, because we do value teamwork, um, which seems odd because when you think of private practice, you think of, oh, I'm, you're in your own little entity. But I think um, really digging into the existing medical team of the patient is what we're going to do. It is not going to be, okay, I'm going to come to this other outside entity and we're going to stay in our silo and be done. I think we're going to reach out because part of the problem with outpatient is you have an oncologist and my oncologist told me this and then I went to my surgeon, but then they told me this. And then I have my endocrinologist and that this is what they said. And then I had my PCP, but he told me, so I think it's really important to really give the care that someone needs um, to connect all of those pieces. And I think dietitians are also really good at looking at the whole picture, looking at what everyone is saying, um, and being able to communicate communication, especially outpatient is so important. Let's get everyone on the same page. Okay. As a dietitian, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? What am I missing? Um, what are they missing? So I think teamwork is number one, even though we're, you know, in the separate space, um, and like I said, just creating this also clinician team environment, um, I think is really important. So, you know, why can't we be really part of the team? And I think that is our, you know, big main differences. So Amy, as you're looking at establishing or expanding services and you referenced UVA and you referenced moving your family with, to another state, are you able to see patients across state lines? Like, how does that work? So that's been really interesting to learn about as well, um, because when I was in Virginia, there's some states that do not have licensure. Very few, thank goodness, uh, Virginia is one of them. So when I came down to South Carolina, I got my license to work in South Carolina. So a lot of states actually tell you that if you have a, if you are licensed as a nutrition, a registered dietitian in a state, you can work and care for patients in their state. Now that is state to state. Some states only allow dietitians to care for their patients if they are licensed in their state. Um, however, 
a lot of them allow state to state contact as long as you have a license to as a nutrition a registered dietitian. So if you actually go to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website, they have a they have a map where you know they'll tell you I think it's red and green states which ones will allow that um, coverage as long as you have a license. And actually, Beth Hall um, has gone above and beyond on her website, which I think is Blue Sky Nutrition and Wellness, where she uh, really dug into all the rules state to state um, and looked up that and has kind of a, a schematic. Um, so if anyone's interested in checking that out. And what are your thoughts on full pay versus taking insurance, right? To make sure that, as you said, we get paid for the services being provided. Yes. And I think that's a, you know, it's such a fine line. I don't think any nutritionist, uh, any dietitian got into this for the money. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, I think it's a line um, because, you know, some people just don't even want to deal with insurance and I don't blame them. Um, it's a mess. And that's why I have a whole billing company to help me with that. Um, so, but I think that, um, I wanted to give everybody a chance for good nutritional care. That's the whole point. So I do want to get paid for my services and, and that, that piece has to be there. Um, but at the same time, if I can possibly use insurance, I think, um, that is a route that I'm interested in taking because I want to give this to everyone. I, I, you know, all dietitians, you know, are passionate about, what nutritional care can do to help a patient. And, and I'm right there. And so if I can use insurance, that's what I want to do. Um, it is frustrating. And I think this is always been a rate limiting step for all clinical dietitians to do this is because right now Medicare is only saying they'll cover for diabetes or kidney disease or recent transplant. But I will say um, there are some Medicare Advantage plans, which is kind of an add on is my understanding. And they do allow some nutritional counseling outside of that. So honestly, you don't really know until you run someone's insurance to see maybe maybe their insurance does cover nutritional counsel counseling. And then I actually put this up on my um, on my Instagram recently, but there is the Medical Nutrition Therapy Act of 2021 that has been submitted. And so it's asking for the expansion. I mean, it's, you know, we have all this malnutrition's bad and malnutrition week and everything. And yet we're not covering for people outside of the hospital. So of course we're having readmissions all over the place for malnutrition. So there, I think it's, I think it's coming. I'm optimistic that it's coming where there is going to be some more insurance reimbursement. In the meantime, I'm going to do the best I can to try to provide care that's needed to patients um, as financially responsible as possible. And who else will be working with you on your nutrition support team? So I've already talked about, um, I won't belabor this point, but I think, um, so I talked about Kristen Quisenberry and we're going to kind of be starting it up together. So again, where I'm, you know, the surgical side of things, Kristen's the medical side of things, and we just hope to keep building. And will you, will you and Kristen be able to do research on outcomes as you move into the private practice world? So yes, actually, this is something I'm, I enjoy and I'm kind of excited about is, um, you know, like we said, I think a lot of staffing and dietitians, it's hard to really show what we're capable of doing, because if, you know, 
you're one person and you're given 30 patients to see in a day, your quality of care is not going to be stellar. So I think, um, you know, let's really put the time in to the patients they deserve and they need, and let's look at outcomes. And I think that's been hard to do just because if you are short staffed or you're covering for each other all the time, you can't really dig in and give the quality of care that, um, that the patient needs. So for example, I, I did a study at UVA, um, with the esophagectomy patients, which were all getting J tubes. So we looked at before they had a position that was, you know, there for the tube feeding patients. So they didn't really have consistent nutritional care and follow-up. And then we looked at once I started, so we did two years before and two years after, and we found that after I started in the clinic and was doing follow-up with these patients consistently, the weight loss got, um, with me involved was improved, um, each month got the, the gap got wider and wider. So by six months when I was involved, their weight maintenance was much improved, compared to prior and their J tubes actually got removed earlier. So studies like that, I just think are so needed in our field. And I think I would just really look forward to, to adding to the literature on that. And understanding that you're just getting started, what do you hope to achieve with your practice in the next 10 to 20 years? So I think um, I'm just really looking forward to, like I said, using um, UVA as, as my model um, is just to continue to build this program of experienced dietitians and I think and and give us a, another or give patients another route because we are, you know, we've always been kind of chained to hospitals or clinics or, you know, this, this is another avenue. And I think as we can continue to build this, I'm, I'm hoping we can really just expand people's understandings of what a dietitian is capable of doing. Um, and maybe that will help eventually down the road of staffing at these places because they can see the difference that we can make. So I, I just look forward to, I'm hoping to keep building up my team and um, to provide that quality of care to patients. And we're about out of time, but just one last question. What advice would you give dietitians out there looking to start their own practice? So uh, my advice would be if you're at a place collect data to show the problem. I think that's number one. Number two, as I've belabored at this point, don't work for free as hard as that is, because we are dietitians. We, we do want to do the best care that we're capable of doing, but sometimes that means doing the best care and then showing what you can't get done and showing that to your manager and showing that to your um, administrators and saying, you know, these are our deficits and we need help here because really that's the best thing for the patient. And I think having, I've been so blessed with my managers because they all go in those gray zones and they're flexible and they're, yeah, let's, you know, let's do this. This is a good idea. And, um, I think it was Carol Parrish's podcast you did, um, Christina, where she said, if you don't have a manager that's not forward thinking and can't put push your boundaries and, you know, maybe it's fine to go somewhere else and find another place. And unfortunately, I feel like our quality of care depends on our manager support and administration support. So I think, um, you know, if you're not able to get that, maybe we all start pushing more for uh, private practice and, um, you know, providing the care we know is needed. Well, with that, we will conclude today's episode. 
Thank you, Amy, again so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today. Thank you, Christina. I loved being here. Listeners, to learn more about Nutrition Support Specialty Care, LLC, check out their website at nrlsupport.com. And of course, to network and learn from amazing dietitians like Amy, please visit our website at dnsdpg.org. Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening. <music>